Join us at The Hedge for a conversation about engineering, technology, and business. Well, hello, Tom. Glad to see you're back at The Hedge, gathered around for the conversation. Yes, sir. Good to see you, Russ. And today we have Andrew Alston, who I think you're in Africa, is that right? Or Germany or something, Andrew? I'm based in Kenya, Nairobi. Oh, Nairobi, Kenya. Okay, great. Awesome. Yeah, just I wasn't certain quite where you were, you were based out of. <laughs> you know, this virtual world we live in, nobody actually knows where anybody lives anymore. There has been a lot of conversation in the past, even going back 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, I remember sitting with Radio Perlman when she came to the ITF quite often. I remember sitting with her and she would say, I think the ITF is too dominated by vendors. And particular sections of the ITF would be dominated by a particular vendor. I don't want to say the whole ITF is dominated by a single vendor necessarily. That could be true as well. But let's just talk about, you know, the concept of vendor dominance in the ITF. I've talked to Greg Farrow about this. I've talked to Dave Ward. I've talked to lots and lots of people across the last 20 years. I've been doing ITF for 20 years or something like that. It seems like this has been a common complaint. And so I just want to turn it over to Andrew and let him talk a little bit about that complaint. And then let's just like brainstorm on this edition of The Hedge to talk through, like, what are some ideas? What could we do? And by the way, part of my goal here is to encourage people who are not at vendors to please participate in the ITF. Join a mailing list, jump on the drafts, read them, and do something. Because part of the problem we have, I think, is that people just don't participate. So anyway, Andrew, go ahead. Firstly, I'd like to say that I agree with everything that you said, but I want to take it a step further. The vendor dominance within the IETF would be less of a problem if the vendors at times weren't making the operators feel so unwelcome because we are attempting to get people to come to the IETF. Now, if I look at a lot of people who are going to the IETF, I have seen two types of people who want to go to the IETF. I see people who want to go to the IETF because they kind of believe it's a place to learn. I personally don't. Um, And I see people who want to go to the IETF because they've had a good idea and they need to solve a problem. Now, when they come into the IETF to solve a problem, the last thing they need is to effectively push, be pushed out the door because a vendor doesn't want to hear them. This is different from vendor to vendor. It purely depends on who you're dealing with on the day. You know what I mean? I would say that there is a problem of dominance, though, whereby you have particularly, it, as you said, it's different in different working groups, but certain working groups are very, very heavily dominated by a particular vendor or other. That leaves people going, well, do I want to spend the money to come to an IETF meeting? Because people don't want to just be on a mailing list. They actually want to partake. They're not going to do that if they're feeling that they're wasting their time because of dominance. So I think this is actually a catch-22 problem of operators not wanting to be there because they don't want to waste the time and dominance, which is contributing towards that. I think it goes both ways. Just a, a thought that I've had, and I am not a veteran IETF go but this power balance exists, uh, this power differential exists in other places too, a similar thing where there's basically the makers that uh, have this society and then the people who consume what they make uh, and the 
the balance of power is, you know, traditionally shifted towards the makers. But one way I've seen to overcome this just in engineering organizations is to do something to, to shift the balance of power and make it so that the makers have an incentive to listen to the consumers. I don't know how you would do that, but, but something to, to give the, the people who are not necessarily makers a voice. I don't know. I, it seems like something like that would, would, would be in order. Going back to your original statement there, Andrew, I think that it is true that people struggle because vendors don't necessarily make them welcome. And I would say it's everybody at every vendor. And I would say it's all the time. What really tends to happen is, is that a vendor has, or at least I've seen this a lot, a vendor has a solution that they built for a particular customer. They bring it to the ITF. And because the ITF is built around working code, running code, which is not wrong at all. I don't want to give the impression that that is the wrong way of going about doing things. You end up in this position where we've already gotten code running and we've sold it. Yeah, you see, this, is, this I think is a major problem because not the running code. The running code is fine. But what I have seen happen is vendors developing things entirely outside of the IETF. Then they bring them to the IETF and want a rubber stamp. You're not going to get a rubber stamp at the IETF. And because, you know, that is where you're supposed to go through, find the problems, work through, make it more usable, etc. I've had great success um, working with the likes of Juniper on some, some of the SLV6 Plus drafts, etc., where we've worked together collaboratively. And the reason that it's worked so well is because there's been this collaborative effort both inside the IETF and outside. It's not a case of we're looking for a rubber stamp. There's been a lot of adjustment. I think it becomes a far bigger problem when people bring a document to the IETF and then go, well, rubber stamp this. And that's when the fights start. I think that's, and, and it, it also becomes an ego problem. To be frankly honest, it becomes an ego problem. It's my baby. Don't call it ugly. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally get that. Trust me. I get that. I really do get that. I'm there too sometimes. Let's be honest, right? It's not like I'm totally um, the, you know, whatever it is, the most perfect little ITFer who's never done anything like this. I mean, Russ, I would definitely say that that ego problem becomes very real. The other thing that I have seen of late, which really kind of scares me, is that some of the people who are putting drafts out there do not want to come and face the fire in the IETF. So what they do is they will send their minions who will be told, take a line. Those guys don't have an option to negotiate. They don't have an option to, to modify because they're reporting to somebody whose name might be the lead author on the draft, but who's never at a meeting, never on the mailing lists. That That's creates a problem. That's interesting because I don't actually think I've seen that. That is pretty extreme. I guess that's, I mean, I, I, maybe I have seen that in the past, but yeah, that, that's, that, that is very, that's a hard one to get around in any way, shape or form. Because so, it is something that we are seeing a fair amount of lately in certain working groups. So that kind of outlines the problem for me. That's kind of where I think we are in terms of issues with just trying to get work done. And these are, these, I think are some of the root causes behind looking at what like Greg complains about a draft takes X number of years to get done. Well, yeah, because it does, because you, you have these kinds of arguments that are more about end up being more about process and, 
who can do what than they are about let's get the work done. Um, you know, there's an old saying in the ITF that I really appreciated. It was, I was working on, I was actually working on a set of drafts that were not my drafts at all. Like I was completely, I'm, I'm not even listed as a co-author on these drafts. Like I'm not even at all related to these drafts. Someone who was working on these drafts was struggling with some physical issues, uh, you know, medical stuff. I just took over doing the drafts until they could get through their medical stuff, right? I mean, it's a neighborly thing to do and it was useful work. So just go do it. You know, what comes out of that is this concept in the ITF that you do have that's nobody should really care who get, or you can get a lot done when nobody cares who gets the credit. And we seem, we seem a lot of times to have lost that sense of that's the way things should be. That, that's kind of my uh, generalized. So I have a question is who, who's not participating that should be participating because all the people you're talking about are the ones that are already participating, right? Who, who's not there that needs to be there? So I think it's operators largely. That's just my, I mean, and maybe that's not, but that's just my impression is that we need well, to get more. Let me, let me put another spin on this to answer that question right now to my knowledge. And I could be wrong here in the routing side of things. There are, two names on any either draft or published RFC in the routing sphere from the African continent of 1.2 billion people. There are no vendors in Africa that are actually selling this. This is a problem because you have a continent with very unique challenges, some of which need to be addressed differently to what is available, some of which current technology can be adapted to. But when I look and I go, where are the operators from Africa? Where are the, because we don't have vendors out this way. So let's bring in the operators. And I speak to the operators and I'm told, well, this is a vendor dominated forum. I'm not going to have a say anyway. There's a problem. You know, um, it, it really scares me that myself and a colleague of mine are the only ones with our names in the routing sector on all of those drafts because where is the African voice in this? Largest developing market out there or one of highest internet growth penetration rates, but without a voice. That's a problem to me, a big, big problem. But I think that goes across the board, honestly. I just yeah. don't think it's, you know, I just think we don't have how many enterprise, quote unquote enterprises. I still don't, I, I still have to find a different name for enterprises. Okay. Cause I'm not crazy about <laughs> calling it an enterprise. To me, it's, yeah, you know, we're all operators of different kinds. We just have different scale networks and have similar technical problems, but overlapping or whatever. But that's also a very interesting comment because I've had an AD state that a protocol could be the way it is because it was SP technology and an enterprise would never run it. Yeah, I'm not. That's not. Yeah, so I went. Uh, I don't know about that. I know a lot of enterprises that run a lot of things, you know? And so yeah. there's even, it even goes to that kind of viewpoint right from the area directors down. That, that is very scary because that type of attitude keeps the enterprises or whatever you want to call them away. And that I think is part of what you were saying before, which I think is really important is what can we do 
Now, Tom, you know, Tom went down this path of who should be there, which I think is a very valid question. I think another very valid question is, what can we do to make it a more welcoming environment for the people who aren't there? Like, what, what could be done? What would happen? So, what would happen if a hundred new people who have never been to an IETF and don't write code and implement products that vendors write? I, what would happen? Would, if this, this place was flooded with a bunch of new people, what would be their experience today? I think that if they put in the work to read the drafts and understand what's currently active on the floor, they could probably do a fair amount of good, but the moment that they proposed the changes, they could find a fairly hostile reception. The IETF is a funny place because, and I, I kind of joked about this in the past where they say that everybody must be respectful. Everybody is respectful, but in an incredibly passive aggressive manner at times. And so you kind of realize after you've sat down from talking at the mic and somebody's replied to you what you've actually seen said to you, and it can be pretty harsh. It's a, it's a harsh environment. I understand that. And in many ways, it kind of needs to be to get the technical excellence, but there needs to be a willingness to engage and compromise on both parts of the operators, the enterprises, and the vendors. When you get told, I, I had a, a situation where I went and I said to a particular vendor, I understand that this is what you want. I also understand that this vendor wants this. I happen to need something so let's find a way to interrupt between the two because if we interrupt, you can have your way, he can have his way, and we can have a nice way, and I'll help write the interrupt draft. And they went, no, our way or the highway. Yeah, see, that, 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 shouldn't, that shouldn't be. That's, I mean, that just shouldn't be. That's basically what that comes down to. When we talk about kind of solutions, right, if, if I look at this, one of the things that the IETF says is that they are always representing themselves as individuals. This is a nice concept, but in practice, it's as far from reality as you'll ever get. Because in practice, if you look at the major vendors, they come in with a common line, they stick to that line, and you end up with a pre-synchronized line of a list of people that's not representing yourself. You know, you are in effect representing a company's interests. I think there needs to be formal acknowledgement within the IETF in some form or another as to who is actually representing what interests here. Because this, this kind of myth that everybody is representing only their own interests, it, it's simply not true. And it also creates issues because the moment that somebody wants to disassociate, they go, well, I was an individual. The moment that they want it as a corporate perspective, suddenly it's a different story. It, it gives people a lot of room to maneuver and it can create problems. You're thinking that one way of trying to work on solving this kind of problem is just to say, let's be honest, we're representing vendors. Or representing, yes, not, not, not necessarily vendors, but we're representing, you know, our own interest, the, our corporate interest. It, could, it may not be a vendor specifically, right? It could be. Yes. And the reason for that is because when it comes down to things like consensus calls, where we're saying, is there consensus on the draft? 
if a vendor's got the money to stick 150 people in the room and all walk to the thing, sure, that shouldn't actually count that much the way that it's meant to work. But let's be honest here, it does. If everybody knows that this is one perspective from one vendor versus the 20 people who are saying, hold on, for different technical reasons, there's a problem, I think we'll get a lot further down the line. That's interesting. I don't think I've ever heard someone say that it would be better to have people just say, I'm from vendor X, and just bring it right out and just say, this is, you know, this is a vendor perspective. Um, most people will say, no, it's the other way around. We try, need to get the vendors out, the influence of the vendors out more and get people to, um, you know, go the opposite direction to realize that they aren't speaking for a vendor and they need to. Um, well, it's the, it's the elephant. See, the thing is, it's the elephant in the room. Everyone already knows that. What is, you know, what is saying it going to, will it, will it just make it obvious to people who don't know? I don't understand what no, that would do. The, 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 the thing is here is that by, I, I've always believed that a top-down approach, a bottom-up approach starts from, let's be honest about who we are and what we want here. Because, and, and when you have the situation where you've got 150 people who are going, I support this draft, I support this draft, I support this draft. But when you take them outside of the room and you question them on the draft, they've never read it, they're, they're saying that because they're representing an interest. It would be useful to know that, you know, I'm supporting this because vendor X has told me to support it. It gives you a far clearer indication of what the true level of support behind a document is. And yes, I, I fully agree with you, Russ, that removing the vendor dominance is important. But I think that part of that is getting a clear picture of how big that dominance factor is. And the way to do that is to get people to actually declare their allegiances. That's an approach I've not heard before, so that's, that's quite interesting to me. So that given that, I mean, how would you do that? What would practically would you do to try to make that kind of thing happen? Well, I, I would like to see a situation where when somebody goes to the microphone, they're already asked to state their state their names. If they can simply be told, state your affiliation. And if you want to represent yourself in a personal capacity, they can do so. But state the affiliation openly. And that way, when it comes down to who's actually supporting this, etc., you can actually say, hold on. You stated affiliation at this point. You can't go back on that now. Tom, as an, as an operator, as being somebody in the operator space rather than a vendor space, I've lived on both sides. So um, I, I can probably speak out of both sides of my mouth without trying too hard. What do you think? Like if you were coming, what, what would make you want to come to the ITF, do things that you thought were useful? I would want to know that there's a forum set up <clears throat> for me specifically. Um, because I've been to conferences where I go and don't really say anything or don't really talk to anybody. I've had, had a couple of experiences like that and I end up generally thinking, why did I come? So especially to a place like this where it's known to be a, a you know, fairly hostile waters, like having a, having a forum where it, it, and I don't, I don't know that it needs to be anything super special, but just knowing that I will have an opportunity to do some good would 
uh, first of all, would allow me to obtain the funding to go anyway. My organization will not sponsor me if it doesn't line up with business objectives, right? If I have no possibility of influencing the outcome of these discussions and the drafts, then, you know, it's going to be really hard for me to convince a, an enterprise that um, they should be sending me to these and paying for it anyway. If there's a way that I would know that I would be heard um, without contributing to running code, then that's, you know, I'm willing to contribute running to, to the code, but I, you know, I, my, most people are not going to be in that, in that boat. Most enterprise uh, people are not going to be sitting down and writing C code to implement uh, what's, what's going on in these drafts. And so if you don't want, if you want their perspective, you have to be willing to, I think, change the culture a little bit. Running code is important, but feedback is important too. I mean, knowing how the stuff works and affects people's lives is super important data. Now, the counter to that is going to be, I'll just tell you up front, is that you as an individual can start such a forum. And people have tried in the past to start such a forum. I don't think there's been enough work. I don't think there's been enough enterprise, quote unquote, people getting involved to sustain that kind of a forum. Right or wrong, I think that's that's one of the, you know, there's nothing in the ITF that says, well, you've got to be in a part of some official consortium or whatever it is. There's no, there's nothing that says anything like that. You could just start an enterprise ITF group and, you know, and limit the, limit the people who can come to people that you think will contribute in that way. And you could actually that that. goes back. That, That goes back to my previous point, right? When I said state affiliations, that goes for operators and enterprises as well because it also creates a situation where you can create a body. And at the moment, if you create a body of 50 operators, big operators, and that body says, okay, we are sending one person to the IETF. The argument from the vendors is going to be, well, he's one voice. That's one individual. He has no more say than anybody else. And so a forum like that that can discuss and bring ideas to the table doesn't actually work in the current structuring because whoever does show up, the the vendors can argue is one voice. I know that some regions have tried to have local parallel IETFs. Uh, this goes on in Latin America. They have a, they have a thing where they meet locally. They get researchers together and operators together to sit and go over the drafts, and they'll have somebody who's not an author on the draft go through and learn the draft and present it to the organization locally, which I think is really clever and a really good idea. Now, would it fit for all regions? Probably not, right? It, it, it does work to explain the drafts and to teach the drafts. The problem is when those guys now want to influence the draft because they see a problem with it, that doesn't help because they'll send one guy because all of the enterprises out there can't all you know send 10,000 people. And that guy, once he gets to the IETF, um, to the meetings or on the lists is one person. Um, and let's be honest, if you're following some of those lists, it's, it's hours a day, you know. A representative forum where people can discuss, come up with ideas and then bring those collectively would be a tremendous help because it does allow a person who's got the time, which not everybody has, 
to collate all of this and bring it as the collective. And I think that that's quite important. Yeah, actually, it's interesting that you say that because I, I have this personal experience, this perennial, that uh, I am often nominated to be a routing AD. I, I may be guilty of pushing that agenda. That's fine. It's fine, you know. And so for years and years and ra- years, radio actually pushed me as a routing AD. And I, and I have no problem with that. I know, you know, it's fine. Um, but why I've always generally said no is because I have an extreme concern about the amount of time it would take me to do that job. It's interesting you say that because somebody once asked me if I would step in as a working group chair in a new working group. My reasoning for saying no was very different, however. I say no because I have an opinion. And I have a strong belief that the working group chairs and the ADs should be arbiters of the room consensus, not the enforcers of their own opinions. And if I were to take that, my the, the way that I view it is that I should sit back and agree with what the room consensus is, not enforce my own opinion. And well, I have strong opinions. <laughs> and That's... so... I muzzle myself if I do that. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that many working group chairs kind of take that that viewpoint. And, you know, I think a lot of these issues could also be addressed if there were mechanisms within the IETF to address kind of specific problems around that area. To give you an idea, at the moment, a working group chair can declare consensus on something and it can be appealed. He's made a decision. However, if a working group chair decides he just doesn't like something, all he has to do is never ask for a consensus call. He's never made a decision and there is no mechanism to appeal against that. And as such, a working group chair can declare consensus to push something through that can be appealed. However, if he chooses to completely stonewall it, that cannot be appealed. That is a problem. That's, that is interesting too. Now, the problem with, with the making the working group chair just be the consensus of the room is that you have to change the way you see the working group chair entirely, right? Because the way the working group co-chair is seen today is a technical expert who helps make the consensus go or, or can, can effectively evaluate the document. So for instance, if I'm sitting here, so I'm, I'm on the um, routing area directorate, which a lot of people don't know what the area directorates are. They get them confused with the area directors. They're not the same thing. Um, a routing, the routing area directorate is instructed or given the job of, val- of reading all the drafts that the ADs cannot read. Again, the AD is, the area director is such a full-time job that these people, they spend not, I don't mean like 10 hours a week. I mean, they spend 50 and 60 hours a week doing this job and somebody's paying that person to do that. Somebody's paying that AD to work 60 hours a week doing AD stuff, reading drafts and making sure the drafts are good and all this other stuff. But is there not a solution to this? Because what this is where document shepherding comes in. You see, the way I look at this is you could still have somebody there 
to help push the consensus, to evaluate the document, etc. But you could have somebody else actually evaluating the working group consensus, deciding when to call for that consensus, who is not got skin in the game, if I can put it that way. Because one of the things that I've said for a long time is that, you know, after Enron collapsed and there was the whole corporate governance scandal, corporate governance worldwide evolved a lot. The governance within the IETF to address the conflicts of interest, etc., doesn't seem to have moved even an inch. I don't have all the answers, but I do believe that the current situation leads to a situation where there is conflict of interest, whether declared or undeclared, it is there. And I think that the moment that you give a working group chair the power to simply not call consensus with no mechanism to appeal that, you have a problem. The reason the working group co-chairs are supposed to be experts in the area is because they're supposed, in that protocol, is because they're supposed to help guide the discussion in some way. One thing that I've often called for is that I think that it would be better if we actually tried to strengthen the area directorates such that the ADs were not necessarily responsible reading everything it would also help because at the moment you've got a situation where if if a working group chair it's the ad that you appeal to before the iesg the ad is judge and jury as to who functions as a working group chair the working group chairs effectively serve at entirely the pleasure of the ad that also creates a bit of an issue because the AD can appoint anyone to the chair, he can remove them at any time, and you end up in a situation where you've got to have some level of some removal from this in order to keep things fair. So in my view, if if the routing area directorate, for example, were to read this and even go and sit in the room in the meeting and say, okay, maybe this should have a consensus call or something. Let the working group chair do his job and guide the discussion, etc. But at the same time, you can't have a guy who's guiding the discussion, having all the power over the discussion. That's a conflict. Yeah, that, that's actually really interesting. Again, because you do have this today, right? Who controls the discussion in the working group when they're sitting there, it's actually the AD, the responsible AD. So you kind of have the responsible AD is the person who is controlling, you know, is kind of overseeing what the working group chair does. And they're also responsible for making, you know, the hiring firing decisions of, of working group chairs. But you don't really have an outside control is what you're saying in that case. Yes. There, there needs to be, you know, one of the things in, in what I published, fairly recently, right, is that I I believe that firstly, there needs to be some outside control on that. Secondly, I'm not convinced that the AD having sole discretion over hiring and firing is necessarily a good idea. I think that there needs to be an appeal process, a recall process for working group chairs. Um, there isn't at the moment. There is a recall process for ADs. However, the way that it is structured makes it virtually impossible to use. I think that an AD should not be allowed to appoint a working group chair from the same organization that he works for 
because again that leads to stacking to, to, to stacking the floor you know what i mean and i think then as i said i think there needs to be a recall process for working group chairs as well as potentially an appeal process for actions not taken rather than just actions taken so when a working group chair says well i'm just not going to do anything with this there needs to be a way to appeal that so is any of this making sense for you tom yeah i mean it's obviously a lot of, obviously a lot of internal politics and procedural things that we're discussing to be honest i haven't i, I like i don't know if uh, increased participation is like a major goal but if it is talking about what the AD is allowed to do or not do is not going to solve the problem of participation, I, especially from people who are not already in the inner circle. In some ways in this conversation, I kind of think this is a microcosm of the, the greater problem. Like you guys got off talking about all this stuff, like what's the AD allowed to do? And, and, and I, sh- I think it should be this and I think it should be that rules, policy, procedure. Okay. But what are, what are the incentives of these people? What are the incentives of me as an operator? Like, I've been quiet, probably like people would be quiet if they came to an IATF meeting, right? So, Tom, that's a fascinating observation. And I agree with everything you've just said. I'll give you the, the counterpoint to that. As an operator, I look at it and I go, I, I was, so for years, I avoided the IETF for years for the same reason. When I stepped into the IETF, I did so because I had a problem. What I found when I got into the IETF came very close to chasing me away from the IETF. And I now sit in a situation where I look at it and I go, will I encourage people to step into this forum myself as somebody who is now involved as an operator? And I go, not until this is fixed because the one thing I know is that people who step into an organization and end up walking away because of harsh treatment, because of the way that they are treated, they're never coming back. You get one chance. Once someone steps in and walks out the door, they're gone. And so we have a catch-22 problem here because, yes, we want to encourage people to be there. But at the same time, do we want to encourage people to be there before we solve the problems that are causing people to walk out the door. I watched with dismay the other day where a guy who's been in the industry forever basically sent a message to the list and said, I'm out. I'm out because I've got no voice and I'm being disregarded. That is a problem. So I I see your point and I see the other side of it and it's such a difficult one. Well, I think outsiders could help solve this problem, right? When you get into these sort of intractable things, part of the reason that they're intractable is because it's the same minds and the same mindsets trying to solve the problems that they themselves created. So probably if there was a way to get the outside perspective and someone that would have thick enough skin to be able to endure the, uh, the hostility or whatever it is, um, who has vision, um, I don't know, maybe it's a select group of people that you just go and you say, look, it's going to be hard. It's going to be probably painful but we have an opportunity to do something good for the community if you'll come help us. And then on the flip side, if you say we're committed to listen, that might be the only way to break out of some of these issues. And I will happily say that if there is a way to create such a forum, I'm in and I can tell you that there were many other operators that would quite happily get involved in that. What I tend to find is that As you say, there needs to be somebody with a very thick skin. Um, 
they almost need to be the lightning rod that's prepared to be struck multiple times. And I will happily sit here and say that if we can create a forum like that, I've got as thick a skin as anybody. I'm quite happy to be the lightning rod. Well, if you know that um, going in, if that's your purpose going in, it's a lot easier to do that. But if you just show up and you're getting hammered for no purpose, like, yeah. Yeah, I, I you know, as I said, when we came to the IETF, it was because we saw a significant problem, which we're trying to address at the moment. Being in that forum, I've also realized that particularly from my part of the world, I really strongly believe that there needs to be innovation out of this part of the world. And I will, I have always said that if there's one thing that will get me riled up and will get me fighting for it, it is the good of this continent, which I believe has so much potential. And as such, if I need to be a lightning rod and the rest of the world wants to climb on board behind that, I'm there all day, every day. I don't mind. That's one possible way of trying to encourage people to come is to build an organization that operators would feel represented them. Maybe uh, now, we should, I, I think using potentially the Global NOG Forum is a good idea. You know, there's, there's now a Global NOG, which has just been formed. Um, Sander Stefan's behind that. Um, Jan Zors is involved in it. There are a couple of really good people behind that. It's, it's growing, and I think perhaps we should build within that because that is a very operator-centric body. Um, and I think that might be worth exploring. I like the idea of the of the Global Operator Forum. I'm I'm great with that, and I'm great with helping with that. By the way, it's I think it's a great thing. And of course, I'm at a vendor, so it's a little bit more difficult for me to. <laughs> I, I would say that in in a forum like that, it would be good to have the vendors present as observers, so that they could get the message from the operators while observing and saying nothing because a lot of the time when operators are interacting with the vendors particularly in the ietf and in other forums they're getting preached to or they're getting argued with it would be good to have a forum of operators where they could discuss those drafts and the vendors sit in the back of the room and listen because that way they're getting the real perspective of what the operators want I think that is I think that is brilliant because people want to be heard. If a vendor will sit and listen and listen to my complaints, um, that's there's something really satisfying about that to most people, right? If if you say, "Hey, come give us your feedback," we're not going to say anything. We're just going to listen. Uh, it has a major influence on who I will who I will buy from. I can tell you. Yep. Um, you, you know, I, I kind of take the view that if a vendor is never going to listen to my problems, why am I going? to spend money with them, you know? The vendors need to hear their customers. There's a saying that the customer's always right. I don't believe that, I've, you know, not for a second. I, I've seen some customers, including myself, that can be horribly wrong at times. But the customer, which the operators are of the vendors, need a voice and they need to be heard and listened to. That is not happening within the IETF and I think that a forum where the vendors actually showed up and just listened would be a very useful thing. Well, the vendors aren't the only people that need to catch this feedback, right? Because while the vendors yeah. are clearly in the driver's seat for a lot of things, like the IETF needs to sit back and hear that too. 
right? And this can't just be a, like a, some sort of customer connection program, right? Where people come in and show up and yell at the vendor, like that's going to help an individual vendor, but it's not going to help the community if that's all it is. Right. But, but yeah, a way that the, the, if you don't, like, if you don't bring yourself to the party, if someone else brings you, then someone else has to introduce you. Right. And so having this idea that there's a, a forum where you can talk to people, I don't know. I, I, I think that you would find people willing to participate in that that are new to ITF. Yes, and I think that, you know, as I said, the vendors, the simple rule with the vendors, et cetera, in that forum should be, you're here to listen. You're not here to argue. You're not here to talk. You're here to listen. I think it would go a long, long way. Andrew, where can people find you if they want to follow you or learn more about what you're talking about or whatever. So so I'm on LinkedIn um, under my name, Andrew Austin, A-L-S-T-O-N. You can search for me. I work for a company called Liquid Telecommunications, so you can match the right profile. Um, I'm on Twitter. Andrew Liquid um, is on Twitter. Um, I've also got Andrew Liquid on Medium, so I publish some some articles on there occasionally. Um, And yeah, just hook me up at any time. You know, I'm always happy to talk and discuss and happy to be disagreed with as well. Um, You know, I find that a lot of people contact me and disagree and I learn more from the disagreement than I learn from all the people who agree with me. So, (laughs) you know, always happy to engage. Awesome. And Tom, can people get in touch with you? So I'm on LinkedIn uh, as well as Twitter, Tom Ammon at Twitter. (laughs) Okay. And that's it for right now, right? Yep. Okay, cool. I'm Russ White. You can always find me at rule11.tech here at The Hedge. I don't know, LinkedIn, whatever, whatever, whatever. So cool. Thanks, Andrew, for coming on and discussing this. And thanks, Tom, for hanging out with your printer. I see it back there. Yep, there it is. <laughs> there it is. And we'll catch you next time on The Hedge. Thank you for joining us. You can find The Hedge at rule11.tech.